Greg Bishop and the Council Roundup. Ah, yeah, it's Council Roundup. Live and local. Last night's meeting, September 21st. Now it's Wednesday. I'm Greg Bishop. Bam, gotten all the highlights for you from last night's meeting. Two hours and 15 minutes. But we'll condense it down into three radio segments on your way to work this morning. Council Roundup brought to you by Head West Subs. When you want a great sub, you've got to head west. The downtown location now open for lunch. Head West Subs. Let's get right into it. Uh, last night was a pretty well-rounded meeting. Uh, they had everything. Public comments about dogs. Action against a bar where there was a shooting. Presentations about federal funds for public works, the taste of your water, and even zoning. So last night they started with zoning, and uh, one particular project that's south of MacArthur, there by Seven Pines, all those apartment complexes, a developer wants to bring another apartment complex, but residents in that area not too happy about it. And a voice familiar on these airwaves, Tom Schaefer, spoke on behalf of some of the residents there, and here's what he had to say about this project that would bring, what, like 24 different units in one space that's close to all these residential areas. Huge backyards. So this developer, Mr. Niehaus and his company, nine years ago, one of these apartments put in there on a dead-end street, which is all single-family, R1, and as you drive down around that junction circle and down Park, you go in and out of town three times. At the end of Park is now the new subdivision, Habitat for Humanity. Uh, will the objectors please stand up? These are the residents that live in the single-family homes on South Park that have to put their kids on the school bus at Park and Center. When the people come down Douglas and hit a dead end, they turn around and drive out 100 mile an hour. When they go down Park and hit the dead end, they turn around and drive out mad 100 mile an hour. It's a, it's a, the dynamic is unhealthy, first of all. The streets are small. The, the place is pitch black at night. There are no sidewalks. Uh, this is a do-over from the exact same petition by the exact same petitioner of nine years ago. Gosh, I think I remember uh, hearing about this nine years ago with the council roundup. I'll have to go back and check the, the show notes from from nine years ago. Wow. Uh, but he talks more about the project. Jamming in 24 apartments on a dead-end road, which is already traffic nightmare, and, and all single-family homes all around it. And the gall of the planning and zoning to say, well, this isn't spot zoning. Well, if it's not spot zoning, what am I standing here for? With a zoning variance, with a downgrade of zoning from R1 to R3. What do you mean it's not spot zoning? And he continued on with his criticism of this project. He says that uh, would bring too many apartment complexes on a narrow road that's uh, a dead-end street as well. The R1 zoning means something. It means you've got a yard and a driveway and a garage and a sidewalk, maybe, and some curbs and gutters and a streetlight, but not with a 24-plex. This is, this is 24 problems waiting to happen to this community. Next up was another resident who had issues with what this could mean for increased activity. I'm Judy Owens. And Judy talked about uh, what they've already seen with their neighborhood watch. We have seen increases come from the Southern Pines area and also south on uh, Douglas and Park. Police respond on a pretty regular basis. So they're worried about that, and that's a real concern they have. And we would like for... Uh, this group to strongly consider what the neighborhoods are going to have to deal with if these conditions are not met before 
construction begins. Thank you, Mayor. Thank you. So, uh, Alderman now si- uh, sounding off on this. Here's Alderman Sean Gregory raising some concerns, and he says things need to be addressed. Um, one of the things that bothers me the most is, um, and this would be for our developers, is, is just because it hasn't happened um, doesn't mean it can't happen and it won't happen and that we don't need to take <clears throat> ultimate precaution in, in areas where kids are getting on school buses and things. So that de- really definitely de- uh, concerns me. Alderman McMiniman also shared his concerns. I would not want my children to get on their bikes and go on Park Street from where this woman lives. It's just not safe yet. So uh, once it becomes safe, then I think a yes vote would be appropriate. So I, uh, I'm going to renew my uh, motion for denial, and I hope I get a second uh, on, the, on the motion. So they uh, voted on that motion to deny this variance request? Motion fails. Two voting yes, eight voting no. Alderman Sean Gregory joining with Alderman Nick Miniman in wanting to shoot this down. But next. So uh, the new motion is to approve the petition as submitted. And the vote on that. So the uh, petition passes as submitted. Eight voting yes, two voting no. So that's uh, ultimately how that ended up. And that's just a small taste of the types of things that happen in the zoning portion of meetings when they have that once a month. Moving on now, let's hear how the city's checkbook's looking. Here's Treasurer Misty Busher. The corporate fund in the month of August had a beginning balance of $42,025,057. We took in total receipts of $11,298,417. We had total disbursements in the month of August of $7,897,286, which left the corporate fund with an ending balance of $45,426,188. Mayor Langfelder, with that ending balance, a portion of that is your ARPA money that is available. The ending balance of the ARPA money for the month of August is $15,202,007. This concludes my report. So there's $15 million from the Federal America Rescue Plan Act dollars. And we may hear a little bit about what those dollars could be used for when Public Works gets up there. But let's go ahead and start the conversation. Uh, Another presentation given last night. City Water, Light, and Power was there. Uh, we heard some of the concerns earlier this week when we talked with Nick Dodson. You can watch that video at WMAY News Facebook. Uh, and he raised issue with the uh, ash release that happened a couple of weeks ago. But he also talked about the taste of water and how people have concerns about that. Uh, and for those who live in Springfield... This is an issue that happens in rural areas all the time. Uh, So let's get into the conversation about why exactly your water doesn't necessarily taste like you think it should uh, and what are the the causes of that. But also an interesting little tidbit in this conversation as to what really may be the cause of why all of a sudden people are tasting something they may not have tasted in Springfield's water uh, from, from years past. So let's hear the conversation. Here's City Water, Light, and Power in front of the alderman last night. Again, my name is Todd LaFountain. I think I met most of you or stood in front of most of you. Keisha, a few others. Nice to meet you. Congratulations. I brought with me my superintendent of water purification, Kim Lucas. Most of you probably haven't met her, but she's out there day-to-day operations at the water purification plant. So Todd went on to talk about why, uh, you know, he's there and addressing some of the concerns about the taste of water. So there's been a lot of concern. I've taken a bunch of phone calls, so has Kim, about the taste of the water recently, probably since about September 1st, somewhere that first week of September. Um, And then you've probably seen in the media some that uh, we've attributed that to lake turnover, and I'll go into that in a little bit. But... uh, 
But ultimately, he says, I mean, it's like turnover. And the water's good. Your water's safe to drink. There's nothing wrong with your water. It continues to meet all federal and state regulations and, in fact, exceed those regulations. Um, this taste and odor issue is just a non-harmful blue-green algae byproduct, which... Listen, this happens with, with the water. I, I live in South Sangamon County, uh, and uh, this happens once every, like, two or three years where for a couple of weeks it's just got a weird taste to it, and it's this blue-green algae that turns over, and, you know, small water supplies uh, might might be something that happens a lot. Uh, Springfield, uh, a little bit different uh, than others because it's got a power plant essentially right on top of it, uh, and that does impact it. We'll talk more about how exactly that impacts it coming up, so stay tuned. It's here on the WMAY morning news feeds. The Council Roundup brought to you by Head West Subs. When you want a great sub, you've got to head west. Council Roundup each and every Wednesday. If there's a council meeting, we get it for you. Highlight what's going on and a quick, easy way for you to be informed and be connected right here on WMAY. I'm Greg Bishop. Thanks for hanging out. And hopefully this is a good service for you uh, to, to find out what's going on. Again, it's brought to you by Head West Subs. When you want a great sub, you've got to head west. Let's continue on with CWLP official Todd uh, LaFountain there uh, talking about the water supply and the taste that some people have. And for those in the rural areas, you're like, blue-green algae turnover. Yeah, that happens to us every other year. Well, it's happened in Springfield, and we'll find out an interesting reason why. But uh, ultimately, what's the, the science behind it is the lake's turning over. What does that mean? Here's Todd. Until we get some cooler weather in the fall. The water on the top gets cooled, becomes more dense, sinks to the bottom of the lake, and basically churns that basin basin up and intermixes everything within the lake. So it's kind of a churning thing, uh, but ultimately, why the taste? What's giving the water that little bit of taste? So what it is is a byproduct of the decay of uh, blue-green algae. It's MIB and geosmin are the two technical terms for what the compounds are. Again, they're non-toxic. They're non-harmful, but they do put give you that little dirty taste to the water. And again, uh, some rural water customers that don't have CWLP, I mean, we've experienced this before. We, we know what's up. You always have that backup water in case you can't taste it. and You have the, the jug of water for two weeks or so that you're drawing from and cooking from and so on. Uh, people in Chatham are like, water taste? What? Yeah, okay, Springfield. Uh, <laughs> I want to hear from some of you coming up in the 8 o'clock hour, so stay tuned for that. Uh, but continuing on, um, everyone does have different tastes. I say tomato, you say tomato. Anyhow, the human threshold for um, tasting this type of stuff is in that order of 10 to 30 nanograms per liter. So that's why sometimes you hear people say, hey, I can taste something in the water, and then you ask your buddy or your, your friend, and they say, well, I don't really taste it. So all our taste our ability to taste is a little bit different and our sensitivity is a little bit different and usually we're in that 15 or less nanograms per liter we're slightly over that and that's why some people can taste this and it's more offensive to some than it is to other others so 
Um, that's a little overview of the the science of the blue green algae and the milliliters or the middle of what I don't even know what the unit of measurement is for a small amount there is in the water. But everybody has different taste levels, right? I mean, especially with COVID, I think you know, a lot of, some people who had COVID can't taste anymore, so they may not figure this out. Uh, but you do have uh, an interesting reason as to why all of a sudden this year is different than last year or the years before that with the taste. And again, while some rural water customers have the blue-green algae problem every other year or so. Uh, it seems to be a new thing for Springfield, and Todd with CWLP kind of explains what's going on here. Is uh, The lake's been particularly stagnant this year. Uh, we haven't had the power plants running, and you know if anybody's familiar with that operation, those will pull a lot of water off the bottom of the lake, run them through the power uh, cooling cycle, and discharge the warmer water to the lake. And what that did effectively was act as a giant aeration system. Wow. It kept that, kept that lake water quality consistent. Wow. So now, back when I started here in the 90s, I would look, coming out of school, look at the data from the lake. i say, well, what's going on? There's, there's no stratification ever, and it was the power plants, right? Wild. It was the cooling effect of the power plants. And now we operate more like a traditional lake, and we're more susceptible to these lake turnover events. So without the power plant there drawing the water and cycling that water through, and then the warm water goes back out into the lake, part of the power generation process, uh, and uh, it, it kind of helps regulate the lake. Well, if they're not running power generation, uh, you're not getting that uh, that that cycling through and the warmer water or the colder water, uh, you know, interacting and 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 keeping off the the blue green algae from coming. So that's kind of fascinating, actually. We might see more of that if you know you see less use of uh, of the power plant. So what to do about all of this? We'll alter the lake level intake elevation to try to find those the minimum amount of MIB to start with as our raw product. And then we're hitting the water with a heavy dose of what we call powdered activated carbon. So we're feeding a blended product. There's an art to this too. You gotta match up the pore size that you see in your screen there, the carbon with the actual angstrom size of the MIB to get maximum removal. And we've got this fine-tuned to about 80%. We're pulling out about 80%. And that's really the practical limit of what a powdered activated carbon feed system can do for you. So those are some of the remedies they're working on. Uh, Alderman Redpath has an interesting question. What, what, how long do you expect this taste to be in the water? So, yeah, that's one question I can't answer with the, any definitive, um, I guess, response. But... Uh, I guess it was Monday was the last time we sent individuals out to the intake to see what the lake was doing, and there were signs that the lake was starting to restratify at that time. Is so I'm hopeful we're close to the end. Alderman Redpath asking, can we just go ahead and operate some pumps out there to keep the water, you know, flowing, cycling through, regulating, making sure the, the green algae doesn't bloom? I do have fears in doing that. It's not a terrible idea for, by any stretch, but uh, you know the one component that we don't have there, if we're not producing power, is we're not adding heat to the water. So that might not be the best idea. So there you go. That's uh, some explanation of the water, a uh, little bit of uh, uh, science involved, and uh, hopefully that better explains what's going on uh, with the taste of Springfield water. Back with the Council Roundup. It's the WMAY Morning News Feed. I'm Greg Bishop. Council Roundup brought to you by Head West Subs. When you want a great sub, you've got to head west. Hearing last night's council meeting, 
presentation about water tastes. Now a presentation about public works. Here's Nate Bottom, director of public works. I do have fears in doing that. Ah, that's actually the water guy from uh, last segment. Here's, here's Nate Bottom. I'm just going to give you a quick update on our infrastructure and some of the projects we have going on, as well as um, registration and demos. Uh, Nate, I'll tell you right now, it was not a quick presentation. Uh, and uh, no way are we going to be airing um, a lot of what uh, he had to say. Uh, because, I mean, quite frankly, it was you know project-specific here, there, everywhere across the city, what they're working on, roads, bridges, uh, you know, the sewer systems, and so on, uh, the overhead uh, water supply, it's just all over the place. Uh, so I would encourage you, if you want an update of what's going on with uh, Public Works and all of the projects they have going on, go listen to that segment because he just he rattles off all of the various things a very long list of things that are being done with public works and at the end of that long list um some of the challenges that we have obviously are we only have a limited amount of budget we'd love that we'd love to have as much money to fix every single road to modernize every single road if we can uh but generally when we look at that we look at the adt and uh you know the need and the potential for development and everything along those lines uh when, when modernizing them as well as track signals i mentioned uh the different uh, warrants that we, we look at there so again a lot of different things playing into public works uh obviously they are an extremely important uh, city department uh but he also talked about federal funds you know that 15 million dollars that's still hanging out from federal funds and we're supposed to get like 17 million more next year it could be used for all kinds of things including for things that public works does more from nate bottom Potential ARP uh, improvements that we think are that we could utilize funds for are oil and chip to asphalt road conversions, as well as the uh, supplementing and helping out, maybe increasing the overhead sewer uh, program. That's at 75% that we will match. Um, and then the 25% that the homeowners come, come up, uh, have to come up with, we can increase that amount maybe um, to help uh, some of the basement backups that people are having in their house if we so choose. Uh, that's an idea. Um, as well as uh, addressing some of the northeast area uh, for the U.S. Uh, EPA order that we have, um, starting to line some of those projects. So, again, uh, just an overview, really, of the projects that they could do with the federal funds. Uh, Alderman Hanauer chiming in, uh, recognizing the incredible amount of work the Public Works has on their plate. Thanks, Nate. I, I just want to compliment your department. It, you know, whenever we've, we've had a problem, you and Daryl have always been on it. Your staff's always been on it, and I appreciate that. Um, you guys are the ones that we, we seem to deal with more than the other eight, you know, the other uh, departments. Yeah, I think uh, everybody recognizes that. Here's Alderman Donnellan. These two gentlemen, your staff, the housing division, the men and women that are out on the streets doing the work, I can't thank you enough. And I mean that it's not just for me. It's from the residents that have contacted us over the years. And uh, uh, you, you both, when there is an issue, whether it's rocks from somebody's driveway going on to an 80-year-old's, uh, another 80-year-old man's driveway, or uh, access, trying to get access to the bike trail, or we can go on and on and on. Th these guys have gone out uh, at night on the weekends and tried to find a way to do it, to get the problem resolved. And I, I just, I just, I really appreciate what you do. So again, recognizing uh, the amount of work that they do, it's it's pretty incredible. Uh, but Alderman Redpath revisiting the idea of the federal funds and what we're doing with those. Uh, that's a that's an I, that's something we've been talking about on the council, as, as you know, that we are concerned about how that money is going to be spent. And you got you got about five different projects here that you have listed. 
it's great that we have them listed here, but there's nothing that says we're going to start this now. So can we start putting dates to these things so we have an understanding on how this is going to work? These are all vital programs, and I'm not trying to take away from one ward to the other, but if we don't put dates on them, we can have ideas all we want. If they're not, if you don't put dates on them, we'll never get to them. Uh, the, there's a, a priority that I have, uh, uh, especially with the sewer replacement, because of the leakage that's going on into the lake. I thought he was going to say Hilltop Road, but they already uh, took care of that. Uh, but uh, more from uh, other aldermen, uh, Alderman Williams, uh, talking about the need for uh, focusing on uh, sewage backups. A few areas, so there's some severe sewage situations there, so I'm kind of along with uh, Alderman Redpath when we start looking at the timeline i also want to see some kind of priority because that that's really dire when people tell me that kind of stuff he says people say they have to you know determine what you know they can't run their washing machine while they're taking a shower or else they'll have a backup so he wants that to be a focus for sure with some of these federal funds but more from alderman williams recognizing the work the public works does and like everybody else i appreciate the work that your department does i do think it's one of the hardest working departments in the city because it's, it's the one i utilize the most as well and uh, again, public works. Um, maybe they need more money. Uh, maybe they need more staff. Maybe uh, you know they're 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 working their tail off. There's no question. Uh, all right, moving on to the next issue that was after these presentations. It's time for city business. What about those firehouses uh, and the contracts uh, to create some new to to architecturally design some new firehouses? Uh, here is uh, Alderman McMiniman. Uh, we definitely need a new firehouse in Ward Six where it's landlocked. And we had an outstanding presentation, I thought, from the architectural firm. I thought they did a good job explaining how they, the approach they wanted to use. I'm going to be a no vote on this, though, because I think we're moving too fast, too quickly with, I guess, three firehouses when we don't yet have any agreement regarding more flexible staffing from our fire department and regarding the repositioning of our firehouses to create uh, again, better usage of limited uh, personnel uh, available to fight fires. So that's the reason I'm a no vote. And Alderman Redpath agreed with some of the sentiments that McMiniman laid out, but... This is the design work, Alderman, and I think that we still have the opportunity to say which firehouses are going to be built and when. Is that correct, Corporation Council? Yes, if you recall this... This is just the preliminary step because what will end up happening through the process is each and every location, property acquisition, contracts, and so on, are voted on separately. So we're going to hear more about all of this. There's no question. Uh, moving on to the next issue, um, it's time for new and unfinished business. Here's Alderman Redpath. In, in light of the shootings that we had this weekend at uh, the place at Dirty South, are we doing anything with that liquor license? Yeah, I think uh, we have served the uh, establishment of the proprietor, and they're suspended uh, until a hearing, which would be uh, in early October. Because that was the protocol we done with other places that had those situations until we get this uh, panned out, we, we need to do that. Meanwhile, uh, another issue that was discussed last night came from a resident addressing the council. Public comments. Here's uh, Alice Rainey. Bingo. Uh, there, I want to thank you for trying to do something with uh, South, Dirty South. 
it's been that way ever since it's I can remember, but they changed the name and moved it to Dirty South, and it's living up to its name. But I think one month is not long enough. I think they should be suspended permanently and closed permanently. But that's my opinion. I'm stuck with it. And she went on to talk about a dog, uh, and her and Alderman Williams went back and forth about whether the police are involved or animal control is involved. And uh, ultimately, um, Alice uh, says that uh, something needs to be done because there's a dog, she says, is aggressive and not welcoming for uh, the neighborhood. Alderwoman DeCenso chiming in. But that's why we need a representative on the Board of Health, which we do not have as a city right now. (laughs) That's what you call a callback in the business. Uh, Alderwoman uh, Conley saying that, listen, the, the health department needs to needs to be responsive. Actually, that department does work for us. We are all residents mm-hmm. of Sangamon County, yeah, and that's true. Yes, yes. they should be coming out every time we call them. Well, you know, I, I, I mean, as far as being a city department and doing it. Yeah, but I we, I mean, I, I, we, we've had this conversation so many times. Oh, I pay yes, my county have. taxes. I pay my city taxes. Mm-hmm. People who live within the city of Springfield pay animal control twice. Mm-hmm. And, yeah, they should be out. Absolutely. Uh, here's a joke. <laughs> Public Works said they'd take over animal control. <laughs> uh-huh. You just lost Chill Top Road. That's right. right. <laughs> That's funny. All right, and to finish up the meeting. History this September 21st, uh, made famous by a Chicago group called Earth, Wind, and Fire. Yes. So we wish that all your days be uh, full of dancing and joy. Oh and uh, as we adjourn, Tony's going to play us out. Right, Tony? All right. Are you going to uh, motion to adjourn. Second. Second. All in favor say aye. I don't have any idea what that was about. Uh, meetings adjourned. That's your council meeting from last night. Gotta love it. Good stuff. Well-rounded council meeting at that. All right, stay tuned. Much more coming up. It's the WMAY morning news feed. Don't forget the council roundup brought to you by Head West Subs. When you want a great sub, you've got to Head West. Their downtown location now open for lunch. Head West Subs.